sitting here with Mr. Brown, who is back from beautiful Nags Head, North Carolina. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good now that I'm only back into 102 degrees uh, heat index. I'm doing good. Was it that bad down there? I thought I was going to melt, man. I ain't going to lie. It got up to like 109 one day, heat index, and uh, it was even unbearable sitting underneath an umbrella. Like you're, you're comparing it to like Phoenix and other places while you're down there? Yeah, it was so hot. Like you said, I started looking like Phoenix, Miami, you know, the, the, the Key West, those type of areas, and the heat index was actually a few degrees higher than those places, and I was like, this can't be real. Why do people go to the beach in the middle of summer? Shouldn't we be doing this stuff in the wintertime? Uh, I put a post on there for all the top fans before I left, you know, hoping you guys, uh, you and Canadian Biggie, wouldn't burn it down while I was gone. And you did, okay. a nice, you did a nice job. But a lot <laughs> of, uh, while I was down there, I did make one post, and I was asking the, the audience, you know, what's some vacation places they like to go to to kind of get an idea, because I like new ideas, and I like to get an idea from a variety of people. And there was one person who suggested... The Tennessee mountains. You can't beat the Tennessee mountains, you know, and they live on the beach now. And I said, I agree with you. Unfortunately, my family does not, and I'm outruled. So I still got to go to the beach in the middle of the freaking blazing summer hell. The hubs of hell are, are abounding. So the, the one thing I thought was interesting was that I saw a lot of uh, mid-Atlantic beaches pop up on there, places you and I have both been, uh, Ocean City, Rehoboth, Dewey Beach, and, and, the, and the like. I mean, and those are nice beaches. It's not like you're... I liked it because it's not your typical southern beach. You got the boardwalks. I mean, it's something you can do with the whole family. You don't have to. You can park your car and just walk everywhere and get all the food and all the activities you want to do right there on the boardwalk. Well, either way, I think we probably got a list of at least ten or fifteen beaches we could probably try to put on a bucket list to check off over the next few years. We just gotta gotta hit that Powerball first, or uh, rather that, or need some more sponsors for the show. And I'm I'm ready to hit up the Tennessee mountains on the lake is what I'm saying. I'd rather do that before any of those. The Smoky beaches. Mountains. You ready to talk some sports? Uh, I think so. Well, let's get into the week that was. So a couple couple of NBA things, you know, continue to happen. You know, we had the free fall that was the free agency and all the nonsense that was going on. And I think we were talking about how much more fun the NBA offseason is than the actual season. I mean it's not over, though, because we did get Ben Simmons, who got his second deal, five years, $170 million. Are you happy with that deal if you're a Sixers fan? Uh, mixed things. I mean, you don't, you don't know if he's going to develop or not. I mean, he, he might develop a jump shot, but it's so far like gone at this point. It probably won't happen. I don't know. But he's great in transition. I just don't know if you can show out that type of money in today's game. He is. He has two more contracts than he does career-made three-pointers. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, it seems like a lot of money for a guy who's very one-dimensional. I mean, I, I know a lot of people were saying, well, you don't have to hit threes, but this is 2010 going forward. In the NBA, it's kind of important to hit threes, wouldn't you say? I mean, even the fours and the fives are popping out and doing the doing the uh, you know the trailer and popping that three. I mean, the, he needs to be able to do it, I think, because he, he's handled the ball a lot. Well, Philly's got their core together for the next few years, so I'm sure the, the Sixers fans are going to be happy with uh, finishing third or fourth in the East. I mean, he don't need to shoot it, I don't guess, because now he's got Al Horford to bail him out on his <laughs> long-range game. He does, and that's a pretty stroke he's got, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so probably even more uh, you know, of a, of a story in the NBA was the fact that we did get – the Chris Paul exit from the Houston Rockets that we kind of saw coming. We we knew those State Farm commercials were fake, but they traded him for Russell Westbrook. So give me give me your take on that from both sides. What are you what are you seeing? I absolutely love that they got rid of Chris Paul. That's a plus, right? 
I mean, I would have never thought they'd have moved that contract. Westbrook, you know, they they played together in OKC. It's been like 10 years. Before they were both superstars in their own minds. Sure. But, I mean, I honestly like Westbrook and Harden better than Chris Paul. I do too. And uh, West, or, um, then Harden. I like, I like this new do- di- dynamic duo better than what they had before. But what the hell is Oklahoma City doing? They're going to trade Paul if they can find somebody to take well, They started, and then all of a sudden they backed off and like, ah, we're not going to trade him right now. Like, what? Who, like, not even the Knicks are going to trade for that contract. And I, I'm shocked. That's that's what I'm saying. I can't believe Houston got rid of it. It's a win just getting rid of that contract. Because we saw in the playoffs and even down the stretch that Chris Paul, he's pretty much a shell of himself. He's like a kind of like the D Wade in his latter years, but that's he don't a want. Good comparison. But he don't want to admit it. He feels like he still needs max money when he knows deep down he's really not a max player. So is is Oklahoma City going to be able to trade Chris Paul though, or are they stuck with him for this year? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who would really take him to be honest. I mean, what's Chris Paul going to look like at this stage of his career, being like the man on a team? <laughs> it's not going to happen. There's no he, he. He would get hurt in like two weeks. I think that Hammy's already getting sore just thinking about it. I mean, you got to think too with uh, Kawhi uh, doing his game with the Lakers and holding out so long. All the teams that wanted players have already done their moves. Oh, we're at the end of the calendar for this. There's no teams that's going to be like, oh, we can take that contract. No, nobody's doing that. Uh, it's 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 a done deal. And what's what's sad is maybe maybe uh, Oklahoma City is looking at him saying, well, we do have all these first round draft picks coming up. Maybe we can just have Chris Paul be the mentor. But I, I don't see that being. Like that's not a good idea. But, but back up real quick to uh, Harden, Harden and Westbrook. I feel like they would both like somewhat take a step back and work with each other because you know westbrook's not used to have that type of shooter on his team i mean he could he could hand out some assists let's be real just drive kick it in because you know he ain't going to shoot a lot out i mean he, he can't shoot but if he kicks it out to harden he, he could get a ton of assists and you know he's active on the boards he can score when need be thrashing to the basket they would they could complement each other very well if they choose to let their egos it, any sense that this is going to be a complete disaster for Houston? I'd say there's about 30%, 40% chance it could completely just come off the rails. Uh, that, that's my thing. I think it's going to be a step back, and I think they're going to fall apart. I don't know. I, I think they're going to be better. I think they could be better next last year, I mean. I, I hope they do better, but I just have a hard time seeing Westbrook and Harden just clicking the way that, that they want to. I mean, I guess because Paul's not really a big shooter either, right? I mean, he, he wasn't. No. But then you got you got Gordon, you got Harden. And you got Westbrook distributing, hopefully, and hopefully only scoring when he needs to, when like slashing to the basket. But it's a lot of egos. We'll have to see how it unfolds. Well, speaking of watching things unfold, switching gears of the NFL real quick, the the news came out that Tyree Kill was not going to be punished by the NFL. Now I don't know how much of this did you actually follow. Have you been seeing any of this story? Did you did you see the eleven minute video, or, or I mean, what all have you caught? I mean, I, I didn't see the whole thing. I mean, because. You know, I'm, I'm a Raiders fan. <laughs> so you just want to watch it burn anyway. I was hoping it was going to burn down, you know. I mean, obviously, I don't want no kids getting punched in the chest or whatever they're claiming happened. But I just assumed by hearing the articles that we was going to have another 
future Browns player. So I, I don't know if I'm getting this accurate at all, but I believe it was the Kansas City Star that's the newspaper. They basically had like this, you know, two minute excerpt they pay, played months ago. That's what everybody kind of reacted to. And then like everybody was criticizing the Chiefs in the NFL for not acting on him. But if you go back and you listen to the 11 minute, you know, entire video or the entire audio recording here, all of a sudden Tyreek Hill comes out smelling a little better, almost looks like he's being somebody that's being pushed to the ends of the earth by this woman, his his girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever it was. But ultimately, you know, he ended up not serving any any extra time or suspensions or anything like that. And I'll say I, th- I feel like the NFL got it right in this case. I mean, yeah, it was – they said at the end of the day it looked like it was, it was his ex-fiance. By the time they did their investigation, it looked like she was trying to set him up. It was extortion. Yeah, so I mean – I don't have a problem with it. I mean, the NFL, you know, if he wasn't convicted of anything, why they'll have the right to suspend him. I mean, so it's find enough evidence to do anything. And that's, if that's their opinion, let's move on. Hey, you know, if we can say the NFL got it right just once, that's a win for them. Absolutely. I mean, as a Raiders fan though, you know, I wish I could have given them a few games just to help me out, at least while we played them. Hey, you know, I saw this today on a completely unrelated note that the the average age of every NFL team and the Bengals were one of the younger. They were like twenty five point one. Do you know what the Raiders were? After our signings, I'm thinking we're like thirty thirty. Let's do thirty. They are the oldest team in the NFL, but it's only an average age of twenty seven point one. I thought that was unique. It is a lot younger than I thought it would be. <laughs> Well, now that we got the top stories out of the way, let's get into some fun. You know, we love our memes. We love our arrogant postings about the misfortunes of others. But speaking of misfortunes, did you see the post about Ric Flair? Roddy Piper, right? No, see, that was a week ago. You oh, know, sorry. So, so Catch me up. That's the thing about Nature Boy. There's always something relevant to talk about. But Ric Flair, that... That wheeling, dealing son of a gun has been struck by lightning not once, but twice. I mean, it is believable. It is the nature boy. So apparently it was like back in like 1979 or something like that. He's getting off an airplane on the tarmac. He's got his umbrella. He gets struck by lightning. The lightning then hits the guy behind him and kills him dead. Ric Flair survives. Did he woo as soon as the other guy fell down? <laughs> I think in that case you get more of the, uh, oh, God, that Flair breaks out sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but let's be real though. Nature Boy, you can't go wrong with his memes. It's like something. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Well, he's the reason why apparently you can't buy umbrellas with metal tips on them anymore. That's actually plastic. So they named the law after him too. It's the flare umbrella law, I guess. Oh, nice. I mean, hey, he, 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 his greatness knows those bounds. But speaking of of great athletes and sports entertainers, you know, as Paul Heyman would say, Brock. Lesnar's daughter appeared on our on our page. I, now, was that real? I mean, look at her. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping that she would have had a little more sable in her than than Brock, but apparently that wasn't the case. Because that that looks like Brock if he just put on a blonde wig. She looked like powder to me. Like she was completely <laughs> like white. Millennials don't know what powder is. Sorry. Google it, kids. It was a movie in the 90s. Powder was a super-powered freak. (laughs) But that was a hideous picture, so if you haven't had a chance to see some of our ridiculous memes this week, go back and find Brock Lesnar and his daughter. And we we did a good job finding an old picture of Brock Lesnar for the, you know, relation of age side by side. So I think there's no denying that's his daughter. 
Yeah, I think so. I know you don't care much about this, but I, I love it. They, the Big 12 media days in college football kicked off, and Mike Gundy from the Oklahoma State Cowboys is still out there rocking that mullet like there's no tomorrow. And we know the mullet is all you know business up front, party in the back. I, I don't even, I can't even describe this mullet. And for this guy to be a head coach for a major Power Five, I, I was just wondering like what players think when he's recruiting them. They see that that glorious mane. You know, feathered, you know, out over the shoulders. But Mike, Mike Gundy's still rocking the mullet. If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. I do have a question for you, though, Mr. Brown. Are you going to Area 51? If I do, I'm definitely taking Sam Cassell with me as a scout. <laughs> Sam Cassell might already be there. I don't know when the last time we've heard from him, but he, he might be there along with Popeye Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that uh, Drew Gooden's beard on that meme was like just coming down on Popeye's face. It was very uh, uh, extraterrestrial looking, I will say. What started this nonsense? I mean, I don't know. I saw these like crazy comments on social media and I had no clue what it was. So I had to look it up and I was just like, why randomly did we just all decide we're going to storm Area 51? Now, apparently it's in September. Now, I'd like to think that, you know, even though there's 3 million people who are interested or are going to this event, as it says on Facebook, that that's really not going to happen, is it? I mean, I was asking my mom about it and she, because she's all up into the, all that crazy stuff. And she said that it started out as a joke, but then certain people started signing on and started saying they were going to attend. Not realizing it was a joke. So I'm not so sure that we might have like so many crazies out there getting gunned down here in September. I mean, but I don't think it's going to be that many. This is like one of those jokes, like when you say something about Richard Gere and gerbils, it just takes on a life of its own, doesn't it? I mean, I think so. I mean, (laughs) I think we might have like a a few basketball teams full of like Randy Quaid's out there running around and getting the real deal. Remember me, guys? The the thing, though, is I think what will end up happening is you're going to have people show up. It's not going to be three million. And these people who, in their infinite wisdom, think they can show up with three million people and take down a highly guarded government facility, first of all, is completely hilarious. But what's going to be even more hilarious, and when it's only 10,000 people or 3,000 people or 11 people that show up, and then they're trying to rush the gates here at Area 51, I think that's natural selection working out its process at its best. I mean, I agree with you, but did you realize it took on so much, like, uh, got so much publicity that they had a special one at Wild Ways actually at the beach, and I was sitting in our room because the heat wave was so high. We sat in a room, and they had a special on the Travel Channel (laughs) about Area 51, and they brought in the conspiracy theory about the scientists at Area 51 got John F. Kennedy killed. Well, I mean, I'm not ruling it out, you know. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, you know, who knows? It's crazy, though. It's like they had to show them because of all this nonsense on the Travel Channel. They had all these scientists on there and conspiracy theories. Hey, if it's trending on Twitter, you got you to gotta go with it. It's definitely got legs. I'm just curious how many idiots are going to get gunned down. This I mean, that's the over-under. Is anybody going to get killed, and where do you set the over-under? Uh, I would say 20. So are you taking the over? I'm going to go under. I'm going to take the under, too. We'll say less than 20 Randy Quaid's will be killed. I think like once the first couple get killed, people will have second thoughts. I mean, I, I'm hoping that the military will use like some type of like sound deterrent or something that will just make them all drop to their knees instead of actually killing them. But at the same time, you know, 
I'm not going to be upset if something happens to these idiots. You can't be that stupid. Last but not least, in the myriad of crazy things that came up over the week, I don't think you saw this, Mr. Brown, about Mike Rabel and, and his sacrifice about winning a Super Bowl, what he's willing to do. I looked at it briefly, but I'm not up on what really was said or what happened. He was on the Dan Levitard show, and he basically said that he would cut off his own Johnson if it meant him winning a Super Bowl as coach for the Titans. Well, let's be real. It ain't going to happen, but, I mean, he can say that because he knows it ain't going to happen. So the Levitard show put a poll up saying, you know, how upset would you be if you were his wife, to which she responded on Twitter that we talked about it and I'd help him. How do you even take that? I mean, wh- where do you go from there? I don't know if that's loyal or insane. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable sleeping at night next to her. <laughs> well, I mean, if he doesn't win the Super Bowl, but I mean, what if he wins it? Like, is she going to be there like Lorena Bobbitt? Like, all right, time to pay it forward. I think she might, but I, I think he's safe, to be honest. Yeah, Titans aren't, aren't going to win. So that's why you can make brash statements like that. You can say ridiculous things knowing that it's not really going to happen. Yeah. All right, one of the things that you know we love talking about is history, and as we went back in the, the time capsule over the years, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak ended in 1941 this past week. Did you know he had a 16-game hitting streak the very next game afterwards? I knew he had something. I didn't know the exact number. So, I mean, I knew it could have been a lot bigger, 56 games other than that one game, so it makes it even more impressive. So I guess uh, I'm terrible at math, but that that puts it somewhere in the the ballpark of what eighty eighty two or some seventy two consecutive games where he could have had that hitting streak. Which at fifty six games, we always put that in one of those lists of it's probably not going to be broken. But if there is ever one of those all time records that could fall, it's probably that one. I mean, yeah, of all the crazy records, it's probably the one that could go down. But it's lasted since forty one. I mean, it's it's a very small chance, and I think it's even smaller now that we get way the games played because you have all these uh, specialists that come in after the starter goes five six innings. So then they're coming in throwing ninety eight to hundred. You're not seeing the same pitcher like he did for four or five at bats during the game. So I think it's gonna be even harder. I mean, nobody's got within ten games of that. And that was Pete Rose came close to what forty four. Yeah, he, he was he was twelve games away. So, but no, and and that's one of the greatest hitters of all time, and he couldn't even sniff it. I, I don't I don't think it'll be touched. Even like the it had to be some type of uh, leadoff hitter that has the speed. But I don't even see that it would happen. No, not even close. But speaking of of records that will never fall, the other one that we we love talking about Ricky Henderson because of the lost art of the stolen base. So, do you remember what the stat was you put up this week? I mean, we talk about him because anybody could look at the back of his baseball card and, and you just get mesmerized by those stats. So if you were if you joined the big leagues right now and you played for 25 consecutive years, if you stole 50 bases a year, you still wouldn't break his record. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, somebody gets, I think if you get like 45 steals now, 50 maybe, you lead the league. Yeah, absolutely. That was a high last year was like 45. It's ridiculous. So, Ricky Anderson, where have you gone? Come back. Te- teach these kids how to do base running. What well, What's caused that to go away? I think money ball and analytics. Is that what it is? You don't want to run into an out because, like, you're more likely. You have that uh, odds of getting thrown out, and you don't want to give away outs because the money ball 
analysis says you got 27 outs. Yeah, but like, and that's what? why people don't. That's what. That's the same along the lines as no sacrifice buns anymore. Well, that's stupid because you don't want to give up an out, and you don't want to steal because you could get thrown out. I don't buy any of that. I hate that. I hate everything you just said. I agree because to me, if I'm Ricky Henderson or anybody like that, you get on the base pass, you're imposing your will on the other team's defense, making them make mistakes, and then you jump ahead. Could he still steal 30 bases? Like today? Yeah. I mean, I saw him walk out at the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and he looked good. He looked, he still had that swagger walking out. He He exudes that swagger. Exactly. I think he could. I mean, I think he he's pretty good. I mean, he bad mad man. The goat on the base pass. Swaggy H. We also did a couple polls out there. We're following up with the American League and the National League as we're in the dog days of summer here winding down. And you put, you know, a fair amount of teams on there in the National League right now. You're you're you know, Chop On Nation is representing strong. They're picking the Braves as the favorite out of the National League on our page. That's insanity. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Braves fan, and I, I picked the Braves because I'm just being a homer, but deep down I know it's the Dodgers, but then they'll lose it's in the, the World Series. The Dodgers will lose in the World Series. More than likely, but the Dodgers are going to win out of the National League. Now, American League, who'd you vote for? The Astros. I went with the Yankees. And that's who's winning the poll right now is the Yankees. But I, I see the Astros and their pitching and all that. They're getting everybody healthy. Springer's back. Altuve's healthy again. You know, I can see them being a, a good out, a good option. But the Yankees, they, they haven't been healthy all year, and they've still been just clobbering people, and they're starting to get some pieces back together. So I'm just, I'm just going with them. I mean, yeah, I picked the Astros because a nice starting rotation in a playoff series means all the difference. It does. And the Yankees – it's very impressive what they've done, and they've had injuries like upwards of ten players on the I or was it IL now? Whatever it's called, I injured the list. injured list. Um, up to ten players at a time, you know, and these are prominent players on their team hurt at the same time, and they they've came through with the best record in the American League. So once they get the full strength, they're going to be nasty. I mean, they haven't even had a Stanton hardly at all this year. But the only thing that scares me is is they don't have a formidable rotation, in my opinion. They're just mashing people. Yeah, those are going to have to out-hit everybody. You know, one of the fun things that we do all the time is ask our fans about some wonderful, wonderful things for Throwback Thursday and, and different events like that. So we went to the odd names of athletes. And to me, the goat of the worst, best names in athletic history, even if you don't like NASCAR, is the one and only Dick Trickle. Would you agree with that? I mean, you can't go any worse than that. I'm, I, I say you're right. I mean, do you have any favorites outside of that? I looked at some of them on our page, which I'm not going to say here. Cause, uh, you're not saying any curse words. Yeah, they're, they're pretty out there. Um, but it's like the, especially now being a parent, it's like the old, what was it, the a Simpsons or whatever? It was like Seymour Butts, and everybody get a cackle out of it type, <laughs> type thing. I mean, but like, how do you not know as a parent? What's about to happen to your child? Like, like, it should be considered child abuse. Like, we were talking about some off the air that, like, you know, in the NBA, they had some good first names in there. But, like, my favorite in the NBA was probably God Sham God. Like, would you have the audacity to name your child God? No, I mean, you're setting the bar pretty high there. I mean, pretty much you're just going to be a failure, I guess. Is that, is that a genderless name? I have no clue. Can you name a girl that? <laughs> or is it only? <laughs> in today's society, yes. So, 
You may not be comfortable saying the names, but I'm going to make everyone's ears cringe and go off the list of some of the ones that are on here. So we have former Olympic swimmer Misty Hyman. We also have the backup quarterback that it looks like this is for the Steelers back in the day, old Dick Shiner. <laughs> you, you laugh a little more when I say him out loud for some reason. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there's a guy that said there was a, a player that was on one of his football teams in high school. His teammate's name was Wayne Kerr. For real. Wanker. Oh, nice. <laughs> Wanker. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, like, <laughs> apparently, there was a place kicker for Texas back in the 60s named Happy Feller. Mm. That's not bad. No. And, of course, the old standby, Dick Butkus. Yeah. I, yeah. There's a guy who said in Little League the umpire's name was Harry Wiener, and that wasn't a nickname. That was his real name. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> Like why though? Why would you do that? That's how. That's how like parents get killed by their kids, right? Yeah, I'd say. I'd say so. Anthony Ryan out there brought us the name Seymour Gash, but he did not give any, uh, uh, you know, supporting information around it. So I don't know who Seymour Gash is. He just is. blurted it out like he has Tourette's. Yeah, Seymour Gash. <laughs> uh, then we got uh, Dick Pole, former Red Sox pitcher. <laughs> I can't say this without laughing. Rusty cunts from the twins. <laughs> I did hear, I did see on our page. It's not like it like it looks. So you're pronouncing it wrong. Coonts. I'd say it's coonts. Is it Rusty Coonts? <laughs> it's spelled K-U-N-T-Z. I mean, it looks like what you said. Oh, I and apparently he won the internet. He got he got the most likes and comments. It looks like. Um, and then the last one was uh, from uh, a Browns fan. He gave us the former wide receiver of the Browns, Fair Hooker. Man, that's impressive. That's better than Cheap Hooker? Yeah. I mean, the one name that's caught my attention lately, it's not really like perverted, say, but it's terrible. I'm, I'm really pissed off at Minute for naming him Bobo. I don't, I don't know if that's a cultural thing for, for Bobo. It, it, I don't know. I mean, that's what's worse, that or Cocoa Crisp? I don't know. <laughs> like one's a cereal, right? No one even mentioned that one. Yeah. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Crisp. Mm. I just, I don't know. Like, it just, it, it would confuse me. It might be a cultural thing. You might be right, but Bobo, you think he could have came up with any kind of first name for that? I don't yeah. know. Maybe he does have a different first name, and it might be just like 19 letters long, so they just go Bobo. They do it for us. We'll have to we'll have to get the crack research team. We need, we need to look at that. Well, we'll follow up on that for everybody out there. But it's still on there uh, for the Facebook page. If you want to tell us your favorite sports name of all time, hit us up. All right, our question of the week is: What's the worst sports crime in history? Now, you asked me earlier, like, what did I really mean by sports crime? And I left it ambiguous for a reason. We got a lot of different things that that came in from different perspectives, but. To you, what is the worst sports crime in history? I mean, what immediately popped in my head was the Kerrigan-Harding situation, and then uh wasn't really sports. I mean, then OJ popped in my head, and that Bronco, even though that wasn't during, like, sports-related, but he was an athlete. So that's the two that popped in my head. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the main angle I was going with, trying to see if there was, like, some crazy stories out there we didn't know about. And people took it definitely in a different direction. And, you know, the, the first comment that was posted was the tuck rule. End of discussion. 
That's how it started. But, you know, uh, you had Boston Red Sox selling Babe Ruth, uh, you know, in 86 years of misery. The Music City Miracle from Bills fans was on there. Somebody put Jordan's father being killed. That was a good one. We got some uh, Lance Armstrong doping embarrassing. So, like, that one qualifies on a couple points for me because that was technically illegal, and it also was a, a terrible crime for him to win all those Tour de France's and, you know, completely do it under the – and he got a cameo in Dodgeball. Like, I, that movie's not even the same to me now. I mean, there's 90 comments on this post. So people did get a little crazy with it. A lot of those Patriots-related. Barry Bonds breaking Hank Aaron's home run record? That was a crime. The 1972 Olympic gold medal basketball games on there where the Soviet Union beat USA. That's where they put time back on the clock at the end and gave him another play. Yeah. It's, mm. Somebody put Pete Rose on the list. What about the sad titty during the Super Bowl halftime show that ruined Super Bowl commercials forever? And it gave us kind of bland vanilla halftime shows for the rest of our existence. I mean, looking back, was that titty really worth all that? I didn't see anything. There was something on it. It was obscured. Exactly. I did reference the, uh, I guess you said like the patriarch or crime family, um, with the Italian mafia involved with the tuck rule. So, I mean, I feel like that's the crime part there, is the mafia involved in that. That that does legitimize it a little bit. We did see the Black Sox scandal pop up a little bit. To me, that that might be sports-related, the greatest crime in history, just because of what it kind of meant and what it did. Someone referenced Bryce Harper being a criminal by stealing $330 million. <laughs> I mean, if you, <laughs> like I said, it's ambiguous. You can answer it however you want. Hey, we got a wrestling one on here, the murder of Bruiser Brody. I don't get this one. Uh, David Wilkie, if you're listening, you can answer this for us. He just put the hand of God. Yeah. I was confused. I was like, I don't even know what to put on here. Like, like it or be scared or what? Well, three people liked it, so they really did that out of sarcasm. They understand exactly what he's talking about. Moving the Sonics to Oklahoma City. That's that's a good one. I like that one. We had a few uh, Mountaineers references from uh, we did. state fans. Homer, Homer alerts. We like those. We had an Angel Hernandez reference. <laughs> Angel Hernandez was good. One of my favorites was uh, Kermit Washington crushing Rudy Tomjanovich's face. You know about that? I don't remember that. Okay, so Rudy Tomjanovich, I'll tell you that story off the air, but basically he got his skull dislocated. You probably didn't even know that was a medical condition that could happen. No, it didn't. Well, Mr. Brown, I headed over here to uh, the crib a little earlier today than we do normally when we do these shows because we had a fantastic event going on. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the only major sport that, that does this type of event during the actual season, which is unique. But we had the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Cooperstown, New York, going this afternoon. We'll get to the, the, the new enshrinees here in a minute, but Mr. Brown, I know you feel a certain way about the Hall of Fame and baseball in general, so what what makes this so special? I mean, I put it on my social media earlier. I, like Every time I watch this, especially now that it's on MLB Network, I feel like a kid on Christmas morning watching this induction ceremony because not only are you getting to see the speeches of the inductees, you're also watching all the uh, active members and living members of the Hall of Fame walk out and being introduced one by one. I mean, almost everybody still shows up for this. Yeah, like it's the biggest collection of Hall of Famers in any sport, and it's the closest-knit group and brotherhood of any sport, and it's not close. 
I mean, they're they're sitting on that stage, you know. Like, they're, it's not just about the new and shinies; it's about all of them. It's that brotherhood. You said it exactly right there. And, and baseball just treats their legends different than any other sport, don't they? I mean, they do. I mean, you have you have you know Hank Aaron coming out. You know, you got Jim Tomey, you know, walking him out. You know, holding his hand, getting him to a seat, all the way up to the last year's Chipper Jones and. Trevor Hoffman and you got Brooks Robinson still coming out. I mean, it's a great place, man. I couldn't imagine being in Cooperstown up there as a fan. And you, they say you can walk down the streets and you literally run into these legends, just pass them in the streets. Well, I think we saw that. Who, who was the uh, person's post you saw where they uh, they saw somebody at the diner there or whatever? Yeah, one of the guys that's uh, in an Oakland A's group that I'm in, he was he's in Cooperstown for the ceremony. And uh, he went to get a, grab a bite for lunch, and he walks into the diner, and Raleigh Fangers sitting there eating lunch. So he sits down and starts talking to Raleigh, and they have, uh, you know, a little time to talk and a quick bite to eat, and they get a selfie together. And he's just like, "Look, guys, with with his social media, I'm just chilling here with Raleigh." I mean, how how cool would that be for an Oakland A's fan? I mean, I know you're just dying so you can go up there and hopefully go to that same diner, and and Henry walks in. Oh God! I mean, I've seen him in person at the ball field in Atlanta, but I don't. That'd be amazing. But like any Hall of Fame ride, would that would be like a little kid? Like which which one is the one that you don't want to talk to? Like I'm sure Ricky Henderson's an absolute jackass in person. I don't care. I still want to run into him at, at, at the hotel bar in Cooperstown. That'd be fantastic. I mean, if he got all cocky and want to start charging me money for. I'd just walk away, but the fact is I ran into him, and I'd be happy with that. Right. Uh, so it, it's a wonderful experience. They, it's the only one that does it during the season, if I'm not mistaken. And there's games going on around the league, and I'm sure that kind of sucks for some of the players who want to see that. But either way, they, they do it on the Sunday toward the end of July every year, and it's a huge turnout. And Cooperstown's not the easiest place in the world to get to, but it has its, its little place in history as being where that Hall of Fame is. So – you want to get to the inductees, or do you got anything else? Well, I mean, just real quick. I mean, you got to think. A lot of these hall of fame hall of famers are now coaches, and for current teams, and their teams encourage them to you know miss their game that's going on yeah, Sunday. Take a day off. Go out there. And go to the ceremony. Like these are you know managers, first base, third base coaches, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, and they're going to the ceremony because they're hall of famers. Tom Glavin's an announcer for the Braves. You got Paul Molitor. You know, Harold Baines is a, a base coach, I'm pretty sure. So these guys are, you know, taking a day to do this, and their teams are saying, go do it. They should. There's 162 games. One game, hopefully, doesn't decide everything for you this right. year. That's why they have playoffs. Anyway, probably the most controversial will start off. Mr. Harold Baines is into the Hall of Fame. He is a two-time Outstanding Designated Hitter Award winner, six-time All-Star, 89 Silver Slugger winner. He's got over 1,600 RBIs. How do you feel about Harold Baines? When I first heard it, when they announced it, I wasn't happy because I felt like it lowered the bar. You know, and obviously it kind of does. Uh, he's a career high 280s hitter. Uh, I, I read that he's like 21st all-time in RBIs, which surprised me. But he played 22 years. Uh, he's got the DH thing, so people hold that against him. Uh, he, he actually had his highest OPS at the age of 40 in the high 380s. Um, but to me, watching him play, you know, collecting baseball cards and just following a game as a kid and then into a young adult, I always looked at Harold Baines as one of those types of players that was 
a very good, consistent major leaguer, but I never once crossed my mind he was a Hall of Fame type player, and that's okay. But I mean, you need those type of players. Yeah. But I just don't. I think he's like a like one of those four A players that's never going to get to the big leagues. He's right there. He's too good for AAA, but he's not good enough for the majors. I'm, ha- I'm happy for him. Exactly. But, but it's not. It's not what the, what is there? Three hundred and eighty Hall of Famers or something like that. Like there could be three seventy nine. Yeah, I, th- I think I don't. I don't really know why they voted him in. To be honest, I think there's. But he was on the veteran. The, or it's not the veterans committee anymore. The, it's it's they the, changed the name. The modern era or something. Yeah, they changed the name, but it's today's it's, game. Yeah. So, but it's basically you know it's a different process than getting voted in. But I mean they picked him and the Lee Smith. Yep. But I feel like there's more deserving candidates. But he's in. Memorize well embrace him and uh, go from there. Well, getting to Lee Smith. You know, Lee Smith is a guy that I feel like a lot of baseball fans have forgotten about. Like, am I crazy for thinking that? Or he he just seems like, for what he accomplished over his career, he seems like somebody that's just kind of vanished in the wayside. He was probably one of, he was probably the pioneer in the closing game and getting saves. And, you know, he's, he's probably, he's right there behind, Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman. He's third. He's one. He's the over six hundred, right? Right. Now he's got four seventy four. Four seventy four or yeah. five seventy four. No, it's four. Yeah, that's right. Nobody else is over right. five hundred. Right. But I mean, like he's right there behind Mo and Trevor Hoffman, who's the two best relievers ever. But Lee Smith, you got to figure, was doing it before it was even really a thing. So they didn't just do it to get that stat. But if you look at his numbers with the Cubs early on, and then even with the Cardinals. He was stellar, man. He he put up like ERA was in the high, like two nineties or so, like around two ninety. And uh, he's a big dude. I didn't realize how big he was until I saw his speech today. <laughs> what did your wife say he looked like? Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he talked about it. He never even played baseball in high school, and then his principal put him in his office and was like, he thought he was in trouble, and he's like, oh, because they they was playing like. Uh, wiffle ball or dodgeball in gym class and he saw how strong his arm was and he goes i want you to play baseball and he's like i don't have the money for the gear so they called him to the office the next day and he's like here's all your gear now you're gonna play baseball and the rest is history that's a great story too it that's, is that's what's great about these things is you get to hear these little little tidbits but i mean but up until that though he had his mindset up he was going to play college basketball well he looks like he probably could have i think he could have done either he had a hell of a career. He deserved to be in. I have no problem with Lee Smith. He should have been in already. I agree with that. It's sad that it, it took to go to the Today's Era committee to get him in. Next up, little little heartbreak here. Doc, Roy Halladay, he gets in. You know, eight-time All-Star. He's won Cy Young in, in both leagues. You know, just a, a guy who's thrown a postseason no-hitter. He's had a perfect game before. What's your thoughts on Doc? I mean, he no hit your Reds, right? In the playoffs. Yeah. First you. playoff game ever. Thank you for that. His first playoff start. It was his first playoff start. That was, I mean, he was on the under unachieving Blue Jays. Right. You know. I mean, I love Doc Holiday, and I didn't realize we had talked earlier that he came up, had like a shutout, and then he went on to struggle, and they the Blue Jays sent him back to single A, and he was in single A for a while. He had to get his head right and his mechanics right. And he came back up instead of pouting about it, came back up and then went on to this type of career. Really great numbers for the Blue Jays. The Phillies signed him on. 
you know, trying to get that World Series. Um, he was a great pitcher. I mean, I have no problem with him getting in. Yeah, you don't have like the three hundred wins, which to me that's not guaranteed. That don't that don't you don't have to have. That. I think that's that that number has to be changing. It as does now in today's game, but he was an absolute gamer. He was a bulldog. He wanted to go. Complete. He came at you. Yeah, he wanted to go nine. He wanted to compete. He wanted to beat you. He want he didn't want you taking him out. He's like six seven innings wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to go the complete game. So to me, he's like the last of a dying breed type. Like, you know, we got like the Max Scherzer of today's game. But yeah, I mean, Holiday seems like the guy that kind of bridged the gap between those Braves pitchers you love so much and, and and a decade later. You know, he was like the guy that kind of reminded you of those, you know, 80s and 90s pitchers that would just come up and, and you know, your Randy Johnson types, your Kurt Schilling types. Like, he's in that mold. He's a guy that's just going to go out there, get you those quality starts, deliver big, big moments when you need it, and, and – you know, they don't make them like that very much anymore. And it keeps getting fewer and fewer each decade. It does. So, keeping it on the mound, Moose, Mike Messina, Yankees-Orioles pitcher, he gets in. You know, he, he <laughs> his um, his 20-win season, that was in his last season, was it not? It was impressive. It was. Uh, he's a five-time All-Star, seven-time Gold Glove Award winner. He's got almost 3,000 strikeouts, 28-13. Kind of uh, a little maybe unheralded because, especially when he was on the Yankees, you know, he was like the third pitcher on that staff. But, you know, overall, what's your thoughts on Moose? I mean, he's, it's a little sentimental for me. This one hits home for me because when I was in Little League and I was just getting into baseball, uh, I sent out some baseball cards, you know, to some players that I liked and I followed and was telling them how much I liked them and I followed them and, Ask him if they'd sign my baseball card. And his was like the second one I got back behind Tom Glavin. He, not only did he sign my 92 upper deck card, which was his rookie card, he signed that card, but he also wrote on the back of the letter that he sent us, good luck in Little League, Greg, and then he signed his name again. That's pretty badass. So to me, I've always had a soft spot for Mike Messina. So I'm, I'm glad that he's in. But aside from that, you got to account for the fact that he pitched in the AL East his whole career. Yeah. Those are all hitters' ballparks. Every, they're all launching pads. So he did well. Uh, he didn't get 300 wins either. Um, but he was he, – He was close, wasn't he? I had to look. I think 270s maybe. Yeah, I mean, he was over 250. So, I mean, he, he was a great pitcher. And people hold it against him that he didn't get the World Series title when he went to the Yankees. But, you know, it's more than about one player, especially one that pitches every five days. Did you hear about um, Joe Torre? Did you see the video montage where he was talking about him? Like they had him do the little pregame thing before his speech. I've seen the video, yeah. And, and you know, Torre talked about him with such revere, you know, not, not because he was a good pitcher, but the way Torre looked at it is whenever they needed him to have a big game, you know, or they needed a big arm, you know, he was the guy they went and got, and they talked about the – the game against the A's in the playoffs that everybody knows about Jeter's flip play. But they were down two to nothing to in the series to Oakland. And they bring, you know, Messina out there and, and pitches a one hit game and they ended up turning the tide and end up winning the series, but he's not done. He comes out of the bullpen at the end of that series 
to, to put it away. So, I mean, little things like that, like we forget some of these things, some of these moments. Sometimes we get so lost in stats. And baseball is the sport we know we can get lost in stats. But Messina, to me, is a Hall of Famer. He was a guy, while he was on the Orioles, you know, he, he was the dominant guy. He was, their, he was their workhorse. He was their starter. He got a chance to go to the Yankees and win a championship. You know, for whatever reason, you know, it, it wasn't the, the best scenario for him there, but he still played really well. Maybe not the number one guy for the Yankees, but look at that lineup they had. I mean, he was the one, two, or three on the Yankees. Whatever they need him to be, he was that guy because it all, all depended on the Yankees was how much money are they going to shell out to get guys that are might be a little bit better that year than him. Like Clemens and Pettit are on that team, right? right? So, I mean, he, he could have been the one, two, or the three for them, but it's just a matter of what they needed. But if he would have been the one, you would you wouldn't have really batted an eye. You know, Absolutely it doesn't not. matter. He he was that good. So I'm glad he's in. I know some people they get caught up on these pitching stats and they don't like him, but I, I'm a fan. You agree? Oh, it's a no brainer. Here's one that I know Canadian Biggie and you have gotten in some uh, tussles over the the years on. Big Edgar Edgar Martinez is in the Hall of Fame. Mister designated hitter for the Seattle Mariners. Pretty much was he there his whole career? Whole career, yeah. So he's he's um, getting a little flack from Mister Brown sometimes because he doesn't play in the field. So how do you feel about Edgar getting in? I mean, I'm not opposed to him getting in. I just like I said with the other with Harold Baines, there's more deserving candidates. I think earlier or in the in the winter time, I put his numbers up against Larry Walker. Wasn't it Larry Walker? Yeah, and Larry Walker. But then you know, of course, people come back with a Coors Field uh, biasy. But and I understand that. But I'm saying overall body of work, you know, Larry Walker did all that, plus he played the field in one gold gloves. Yeah, but he had like six or seven gold gloves. Right. Now, I, I don't have a problem with Edgar getting in because I don't hold the fact that he's a DH against him. Was this his last chance? I think so. Okay. I think that's why he got in over the likes of uh, Larry Walker. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to him getting in. Like I said, I, I'm not saying a DH shouldn't get in because if you're the – the rules of the game are the rules of the game. If, if you're the best hitter – like a David Ortiz or an Edgar Martinez, and your head's and shoulders above any other DH in the league, and you're the best for a decade, put him in. And I saw a stat which blew me away. I think he he has the fourth highest OPS for his career. I'm sorry, on base percentage uh, since 1900. Fourth highest ever. That high. And I didn't know that when I made my <laughs> argument, but well, I mean, it, you know, it makes this look at things a little different. I seen it and. You know, Jay Buhner was just, when he had his speech, he was just saying, you know, this is a team with Griffey and, you know, A-Rod even coming up. And they were, like, saying he was the, the most disappointing feared. team. The most feared right-hander in the league at that time. Well, I mean, I always remember him as a guy that you knew he could hit the ball in the gap, but he was also a power hitter, too. Like, he, he could do a little bit of everything. He, he was a contact hitter. Occasionally he played in the field. Not very often, but occasionally. But, man, what an underachieving team that Mariners team was. So much talent. I mean, I, I know they didn't have a lot of pitching after big unit. That, that was kind of it. I mean, think about it, though. They Obviously, A-Rod won't get in because of steroids, most likely. But you had four Hall of Famers on that team. Junior, A-Rod. Wasn't uh, that Alex Cora on that team, too? Yeah. <laughs> so you got good baseball minds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean. Buner, Griffey, Edgar. And a uh, a rod and big unit, big unit. I mean, man, that's well, a team, man. What happened, Seattle? I don't know. They got rid of everybody. It but didn't work. I don't have a problem with Edgar. Uh, well deserved. I think it opens the door for Big Poppy in the future. 
I guess we're down to one. Last but not least, Mr. Save Himself, another another Yankee player, Mariano Rivera. Best closer of all time? Uh, yeah, and it's not close. It's not, not not even close. It's not there's a huge gap between him and Trevor Hoffman. So one of the things that you like to talk about with with baseball players are regular season success and postseason success, right? Yeah, Mariano Rivera had enough postseason success that he could actually screw up a couple of times, and it still doesn't hurt his reputation. Yeah, I mean he had a few, he had a few uh, uh, downfalls, but they were there so much that everyone overlooked it, which they should. You hear starting pitchers talk about how they don't want to come out of the game and all this different stuff, but yet when they knew that Rivera was coming out, you know, it's like eh. I feel like I got my W today. And Sandman starts playing. And Sandman hits up, and man, I, he he was not a not a a big basket full of tools pitcher, was he? It's crazy he was that good because everyone in the stadium, including the guy in the batter's box, knew uh, the cutter was coming. One pitch, and they couldn't hit it. It was just was a it. matter of where is he going to locate it. Yep, it's insane. And to have the amount of saves he has. And don't get me wrong, it helps to be on a good team so you have those opportunities. But, you know, you, you could make the argument that he is equally responsible as many as a lot of those guys on the, on those pitching staffs or the Yankees teams in general that maybe they're not that good without him. You know, I mean, if you don't have him closing down and, and you look at how we get excited for closers, how, how we get excited for guys like, you know, Chapman with his with his you know heat that he brings or or Hader right now and like these guys are great don't get me wrong but like Rivera did it for so long so well just unbelievable and I didn't realize till today that he was uh, originally a starter yep and he had some struggles early on and then they sent him back down and then he came back as put a, him in the pen put him in the pen he was under the tutelage of, tutelage of like John Wetland I believe early on yeah that's what they said and then. The rest is history. I mean, but I mean that may play a factor because if if his main pitch was just the, the cutter, you can't survive on a cutter as a starter. You can get me nine outs, or you can get me three outs. Yeah, you can get me nine strikes. Right, but you can't get me you know eighteen twenty one that way. Right, I think that's what allowed him just to hone on hone in on that one pitch and make it the best possible pitch it could be because he knows like I'm gonna have to get three outs. You know, on a crazy situation, maybe five, six outs if they had to bring him in on the eighth, but that hardly ever happened. I don't think anybody can give me a good argument for who a better closer is. There isn't one. I mean, look, I I, I think Hoffman was great. Eckersley, Lee Smith we talk about. You know, these guys were were great players, but there is only one Mariano Rivera. He is the GOAT of the GOAT.